Good evening. How's everyone doing? Good. Many years ago, in a little town, a man was bitten by a mad dog. Now, in this particular town, there was no cure for rabies, and the man knew he was going to die. So he sat down, took a paper and pen, and started to write down the names of people he knew. One of his friends happened to glance at what he was writing and he thought he was making a will. So he asked the man, very nice of you to make a will. And the man said, what will? I'm making a list of the people I'm going to bite. When we're angry, we like to bite people, don't we? We like to snarl at them, we like to growl at them, we like to shout at them, we like to bite them. And sometimes, like a rattlesnake, we even bite ourselves. I'm going to talk about anger today because the world is a very angry place, don't you think? And not only is the world an angry place, our schools have become angry places, our clubhouses have become angry places. Our workplaces have become angry places. Even our churches have become angry places. And why is that? Because we are angry people. And before I start, I'd like to ask a question of you. In the past one month, is there any person sitting here who's not been angry, can you please raise your hands? No, better still, can I please ask you to stand up? I really would like to see you. Anyone here who's not been angry in the last month, could you please stand up? And at the end of this class, you're going to be invited to come here and teach us how to do that because we really need to learn how not to be angry. Okay? Can I invite all of you to stand up now and listen to the Word of God? I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 onwards. Paul writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all rage, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please be seated. There are five easy ways I'm going to show you today of how not to be angry. First, die to self and die to sin. Do you realize why we get angry? We get angry usually because we're so full of ourselves, so full of self-righteousness, so full of self-love, so full of self-pity, so full of everything. And the reason we get angry is because sometimes this self is affected. Somebody says something to offend us and we get angry. Somebody else is favored over us and we get angry. Someone puts us down in any way and we get angry. Someone challenges our beliefs and we get angry. Someone does not act in the manner that we want them to act and we get angry. Someone insults us in the smallest way and we get angry. Is this not true? Think about the last time you got angry and I'm pretty sure it is because somebody pricked you where it hurts. You. Yourself. Which is why Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him carry his cross daily and follow me. Now a lot of people think that carrying one's cross means carrying one's burdens. But in Jesus' time, carrying one's cross meant only one thing. It meant dying. And Christ is saying to us, unless we are willing to die to ourselves every single day, there is no way we can attain, achieve the freedom that he wants to give us. And dying is painful. Somebody says something to offend us. Somebody says something to put us down. Somebody says something to humiliate us. To zip up and keep quiet is very, very difficult, is it not? What's the first thing you want to do? You want to lash back. You're hurt, you want to hurt back. Jesus is saying you need to die to that, to the desire for revenge. And that is one of the things we're going to talk about here today. But we're going to go step by step. The second thing we need to do is not to cling to our anger. Many of us do that. The moment somebody hurts us where they're plotting revenge or we're thinking all kinds of things of how to destroy the person. In the words we just heard, we heard Paul saying, do not let the sun go down on your anger, which means what? It means you're going to get angry. I mean, you're a human being. Somebody hurts you, you're going to get upset. But he says, whatever happens, do not let the sun go down. Do not sleep angry. Because if you sleep angry, the devil is going to come and he's going to really get hold of you. And when you wake up in the morning, you're still going to be angry. And who's going to suffer through the entire day? It's going to be you who suffers. Isn't that right? And what happens when you wake up angry? You shout at your wife. You yell at the kids. You kick the dog on the way out. You go to your boss and you're busy yelling at everybody over there. And what happens to them? Because you're upsetting them, they're getting angry and they in turns are upsetting other people. And very soon what happens? Every single person around you is just fuming 
and fretting and angry because of the anger that they saw within you. What else do we need to do? How do you deal with your anger, sister? You do you get angry? And what do you do with it? Keep quiet. That is good advice. Take yourself out of the situation. Most of the time what happens is, consider this, I want to be practical today. I don't want to just give lectures and have people listen to me and say, okay, that was another good talk, but I really don't know how to deal with it. Consider yourself has been hurt, okay? Consider somebody says something to you. What is the first thing you want to do? You want to hurt back. Instantly, instantaneously, your first reaction is let the person suffer. Imagine instead that instead of reacting, you keep quiet. What happens to the person who is hurting you? Probably get more angry because you're not retaliating, because you're not reacting. But after a while, if you continue to be quiet, the person loses steam and goes off and does whatever he or she has to do. In a few moments, the entire situation is neutralized. But Paul has some better advice, and I want to really read this out for you because it is important advice. You'll find this in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible for you to be at peace, be at peace. But unfortunately, very often it is not in your hands because someone is there disturbing the peace. So he's saying, if that happens, you still try to maintain the peace. And how do you do that? Listen to this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. I'm going to come to this in a minute. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. How many of you are married here? Raise your hands. Please, can I see those hands go up? Nice. Let us imagine your spouse, when you go home tonight, throws a little tantrum, accuses you of all kinds of things. You know what spouses are like, right? And say things to annoy you. You keep quiet. Your spouse continues to rant. Then you go into the kitchen and you make your spouse a nice thick sandwich filled with the best things your spouse likes. And you come back and you give it to your spouse. What is your spouse going to do? Throw it? No, 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 no. You haven't tried this. That's why you don't know. This is what you think he's going to do. He will not look at you for a little while. He said, darling, I made a sandwich for you. He's still angry, you have to remember, or she, okay? Okay, he's still angry. He actually, you know, wants to throw it at you, but now you've done something good for him. He can't throw it at you, so he kind of sobers down, simmers down a little bit. He doesn't want to talk to you still, so what do you do? You leave it by his side. Say, darling, whenever you want to eat, whenever you're hungry, eat it. Leave the room. 
Leave the room. He's not going to eat it when you're in the room. But the moment you're out of the room, he's going to keep looking at that sandwich and he's going to get hungrier and hungrier. Trust me on this because it's happened to me. <laughs> and within about 15 or 20 minutes, there he is having that sandwich. And then you come back into the room. He might not thank you for it, but the one thing I can guarantee you is he's not going to be shouting at you anymore. What have you done? What have you done? You have defanged the situation. You have just taken the sting out of it completely. And imagine you have a really tough enemy who's been harassing you constantly. Now, the most likely thing that people would expect you to do is what? Is to somehow or the other get back to him. But instead, if every time he does something wrong to you, you do the equivalent of making a sandwich for him, what happens? Eventually, he'll get the point. And like scripture says, it's like pouring burning coals on his head. So in a way, you're getting your revenge, aren't you? I mean, he's not going to be happy. In our ministry over the last 10 years, I've lost count of the number of times our enemies have tried to destroy us. You know, they hauled us in front of the bishop. They kept writing letters to him. They kept writing letters to everybody. Not once did we do anything to them or even say anything about them. And if you ask me who these people are, I don't know. But what's happening to them? They're losing the power they would have had over us if we had to react. So whenever we react, we're giving them the power that they need. And more than them, the devil needs in our lives. I'm very fond of talking of buttons. Thank you. All of us have a button. You know, if I push this button and my brother here, he's going to react in a certain way. You know, if, let us say, I slap his face hard, what is he going to do? His button says slap back, doesn't it? Now, the people who know our buttons the most are our spouses. You know, they know exactly what button to press for you to act in a certain way. Is that right? Now, when I'm speaking to the spouses, I'm also speaking to the single people, okay? Because you're going to get married one day soon, okay? And trust me, within six months, your spouse will know every single button in you and they will keep pushing. <laughs> they will know you talk in a certain way and this button is pressed. You say this thing and that button is pressed, okay? My wife knows every single button of mine. And she knows the worst button in me is to call me a hypocrite. She says, hypocrite, and what do I act? I act like a hypocrite. So what do you do? You snip off the wires. So you know what happens when they're pushing the button? Nothing happens. And they will keep pushing. And nothing happens. So eventually, maybe it'll take them a few weeks to realize nothing is happening. They will stop pushing the button. And what happens to you? You're free. Remember this, it is truly one of those most practical ways of changing the situation that you're in, whether it is in your home, whether it is in your office place, whether it is in the church, disconnect the buttons. Now, there is something important that we looked at here, which is revenge. Paul says, I know you want to avenge yourselves. You know, when in the old days I used to have a favorite movie, 
used to be called the Godfather. Have you seen it? Yeah? Every time I used to get very drunk, I used to watch the Godfather. So I watched the Godfather over a thousand times. And what I loved about the Godfather in those days, now I wonder what there was in that movie. What I loved about the Godfather was one of the lines in the movie that said, revenge is a dish best tasted when it is cold. Which means what? Totally contradictory advice to what you heard now is sleep on your anger. The next day when you wake up, sleep again on your anger till your desire for revenge becomes absolutely cold. But in the meantime, you're plotting and you're planning. This is what I'm going to do to that person. And one day you will get your chance. This is what the Godfather taught. On the other hand, scripture says something different. It says, do not sleep on your anger. Leave revenge for God. Now, what Paul knew, as most of us know, that God is a very merciful person. Did you know that? So when you leave justice to God, what is most likely going to happen? God is going to forgive the person. Did you realize that? And that does not make most people feel good. A few years ago, I was preaching in England and I gave a talk on forgiveness. I told people how important it is to forgive those who have hurt you. And after the session was over, one woman came to me and said, Brother Anil, I had a son and last week he was shot dead. He'd gone shopping in a supermarket and some people came to rob the store. He got on the way and they killed him. But after hearing your talk on forgiveness, I've decided to forgive the killers of my son. But she said, God will punish them, won't he? <laughs> now I know you're laughing because it seems funny to you, but my soul hurt. And the reason my soul hurt is because I knew she was asking for justice. We all want justice, don't we? When somebody hurts us, when somebody molests us, or worse, when somebody molests one of our children, if somebody rapes us, if somebody is the cause of the death of someone we love, we want justice, right? But listen to me very carefully now, please. If we ask justice of God, every single one of us would be dead. Because the wages of sin is death. And the moment you commit the smallest infraction, God is fully within his rights to strike us dead on the spot. Yet what does God do? He stays his hand time and time and time and time and time again. Because he forsakes justice for mercy. And when we understand that, we need to ask mercy for our brothers and sisters as well. So when we say we forgive you, we need to ask God to forgive them too. Have you heard it was written in the Bible, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? What do you think God meant when you were saying that? Many of us think that it meant that if someone hits us in one eye, you go and hit him in the other eye. Isn't that what we believed? But this is not what God was saying. God was holding us back and he was saying, I know your desire for justice. But if you are going to exert justice, make sure that you do not take more than an eye because you haven't lost more than an eye. And this is something we need to understand here about God. 
that God was trying to be fair to us because he realizes in our humanity we need an eye for an eye. But listen to me very carefully here. An eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. And if you look at the world today, the world is going blind. Look at everywhere. Look at what's happening in Syria. Look at what's happening in Lebanon. Look at what is happening in Iraq and in Pakistan. Every corner of the world. Look at what used to happen in Italy. They still live by the policy of vendetta. Which means what? It means if someone kills your father, you kill him. Then what happens? That person's brother comes and kills you. Then what happens? Your son goes and kills that person. And as a result of this, there used to be entire villages in Sicily where there hardly was a man around. Because what happened to the men? They were all dead. And this is what happens when we take vengeance into our hands. God is saying, hey, leave it to me. I know what is best. I know what people are doing to you. I'm not blind to it. I know how they hurt you. I know how they treat you. I know how they treat your family. I am not blind. But what I'm asking you to do is to stay your hand and to be perfect in love. Last week I spoke about a pursuit of excellence. But you know what the most excellent thing is? It's what Jesus says in Matthew 5.48. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And you know what perfection he's calling us to? Listen to the words he says before that. Listen carefully. You've heard it said. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. I tell you now, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the good and the evil. He showers rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. What benefit is there for you to love those who love you? Even the tax collectors do that. No, you love those who persecute you. You love those who are your enemies. And when you come to an understanding of this, you know, you will not get angry with people instead you will feel pity for them because they don't know what they're doing. You know what Jesus said? After he was beaten, after he was scourged, after he had this crown of thorns planted on his head, after he was given a cross to carry and then whipped and spat at and abused, and then finally when he was on top of the hill, when he was crucified on it, what were his last words? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I have a brother-in-law who's mentally challenged. Have you ever known someone who's mentally challenged? You surely have, have you? Haven't you? What happens when you are in contact with them? You realize they're not fully able to do things. So what do you do? You try to be helpful to them, right? Because they cannot act the way you act. Have you met someone who's physically challenged? Surely you have. And what do you do when you come across someone like this? You understand that this person also is not fully in control of his capabilities. So what do you do? 
You're compassionate to them. You're sympathetic towards them. And you treat them in a way that you might not treat a normal person. Now listen to this carefully. The people who hurt you, whether it is at home, whether it is in a workplace, whether it is in a church, they hurt you because they are spiritually challenged. They don't know what they are doing. So instead of getting angry with them, you pity them because truly they are deserving of pity. And why? Because you know more, right? Because you have learned so many things from God, right? And what have you learned from God? You've learned this, that if anyone on this earth, in this world, had the right to get angry, it was God. The things you do, man, day after day after day. Can you imagine what God thinks when he looks at you and he says, oh, there he goes again, doing the same thing. He comes to me, says he's sorry, and then goes back and wallows in the mud. I'm telling you, if anyone had the right to be angry with us, it is God. And yet what does God do? Silly fellow doesn't know what he is doing. Silly woman doesn't know what she's doing. Come here, darling. Let me get you clean up again. And that's what he does time and time again, doesn't he? Yes? What if we were to be like God? That's what we learned about in this passage I just read. You got everything you need to be like a divine person, especially love. And I've been talking about love a lot ever since this ministry started. But for some reason, I haven't spoken about love here for the longest time, and I don't understand why. I need to talk about it here today. I need to talk about love because if there is one thing that can destroy anger completely, it is love. But how are we going to do it? I know you want to love everyone around you, don't you? I also know you're not able to love everyone around you. Isn't that right? Someone comes and whispers something in your ear. You know what this person said about you? And, ah, I know the feeling. Seriously. I had somebody come and do this to me last week. Brother Anil, you know what they're saying about you? I don't want to know. He says, but I need you to know. I don't want to know. Even when you don't want to know something, people tell you. Have you experienced that as well? So anyway, I said, okay, tell me what the person said. It wasn't so bad, actually, you know, but still, in my heart, what happened? Ah. So what do you do? The person is stupid. Now, this is not a nice thing to say, okay, that someone is stupid. God, in fact, says, be careful you don't call somebody a fool. Be careful you don't call somebody stupid. But it works. It works especially when you're trying to fight with your anger. And what is that? To say the guy is a jerk. He doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's doing. Forget about it. Isn't that easier? And this is what I'm asking you to do. The next time anyone starts to push those buttons, one of the easiest ways you can of diffusing the situation is saying, the guy is being stupid. Forget about it. You want to try it when you go home today? Husbands might try something else because, you know, they just might think they're going to get a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. This doesn't always work. 
There was this couple who was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And the local TV channel came to interview them and they asked the couple, you know, you seem very happy. You've been married for 50 years. Can you tell our viewers what the secret of your married life is? And the husband said, it is very easy. When we got married, we made a pact. If I got angry with her, I would just get up and leave the house and take a big walk around the block. And if she got angry with me, she would get up and take a big walk around the block. He said, really, did that work? Yes, it worked. The only problem is we spent 49 years out. <laughs> Some of these techniques might not work. So what do you do then? You rely on the one technique that does work, and that is depending on God. You know, I tell people to pray. One of the things we do in our community is that compulsory. Everyone has to do it for one hour. They have to sit down with God and pray. And many people sometimes come and say, what do I do for one hour with God? You unburden yourself. Think of the loads you're carrying on your shoulders today. You've come for a prayer meeting. But think of the baggage you've brought with you here. Now maybe God is going to fix one thing. Today he's going to fix anger. But think of all the other stuff you have loaded on your back. You're going to carry it day after day after day. Instead, just imagine this. One hour with God. Just sit down with him and unburden. You're angry with somebody. You sit down with God and you tell God, God, this person did this. This person said this. This person hurt me again for the nth time. And what happens when you open your heart and share this with God? What is God going to say? Okay, very good. I heard you. Now take your baggage and go back. No, he's going to say, give it to me. I will take care of it. And just talking about it to someone unburdens that weight that you carry in your heart. The only problem is we can't talk to people because the moment we start talking to people, very often it becomes gossip. And very often, instead of the person helping you, the person only increases the burden because of the things the person says. Trust me. So unless you have a good spiritual guide, someone you can go and really get all that stuff out, go only to God. But there with God, be honest. You know, I take every single thing to him. If someone says something, I say, Lord, this is what this person said. And what is God going to say to me? Did the person speak the truth? Now I have two choices here. One is, yes, the person did speak the truth. In which case, what do you think God is going to say to me? He spoke the truth. Maybe you need to take a look at yourself and fix it. Or the second alternative is, no, the person did not speak the truth. In which case, God says, why do you worry? What he's saying is not the truth, so let it go. What is important is what I see in you. What is important is what I think of you. And I think you're this marvelous person, regardless of what anyone in the world says. You just continue to do what I'm asking you to do. Which brings me to one more point. Be persevering. Sometimes we give up. You know, we say, how often, how many times am I going to forgive? How many times am I going to, you know, keep my anger in check? But listen to what James writes. These are really good words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Did you ever think that when someone is provoking you, God might be testing you? And what is God testing? God is testing if you really have the heart of love that you tell him that you have. He's given us a heart of love, right? How many times have we spoken about love? Infinite times. But how does he prove it to you that you have that love? Only when somebody acts irritating, when somebody acts annoying. So believe that this is God's way of making you grow in your faith. And the only way you can do that is by continuing to persevere. No, it doesn't matter if this person does this five times or 50 times or 500 times, I'm not going to get angry. Not easy. Not easy. And I might have shared this story with you before, but I have to share it with you again because we're speaking about anger. I used to be an angry man. I mean, and when I speak of angry man, I wasn't a guy who just shouted at you a couple of times. I used to go ballistic. And everything in my path, I had to cut to shreds. And my family knew that when I got angry, the best thing to do is forget about getting into the next room, get out of the house. Yeah, because four or five minutes, it never used to last long, I used to go mad. And like many people who get angry, and this has relation to a lot of you sitting here, we believe we have the right to get angry. We believe if someone annoys us, it is fully within our rights to make sure that they pay for it. And we might not sometimes, if we're not strong enough, strike the other person, but we will cause violence in a hundred different ways. We shout, we will scream at the top of our voices so the neighbors two miles down will be able to hear you. If we're not able to control our voices because that is what happens to angry people, sometimes they can't let that out through their mouths, so then they start taking things and throwing things and breaking things. And sometimes they're not even satisfied with that. If you are in striking distance, they will break you. And I know that a lot of people here will know what I'm talking about. Because not only do we have perpetrators here, we also have victims here. And there is nothing more scary, there is nothing more frightening than being a victim of someone who believes he or she has the right to get angry. It is a terrifying experience. You know what I'm talking about here, guys? You do. So what do you do in face of rage like this? There is nothing you can do except to take yourself out of the situation till the person cools off and pray. But this talk is not so much for victims as it is for the perpetrators. Not done. Simply not done. I am so ashamed for every single time I threw a tantrum believing it was my right. I am so ashamed and sometimes I still think about it and I shiver to myself. In those days, I remember I used to say, I want people to be afraid of me. But I think now, what kind of stupidity is that to have someone afraid of you? Wouldn't it be better if people loved you? But how can people love you if they're constantly scared of what you're going to do? to your house, to your neighborhood, to the people around you. They're constantly living in fear. And if you have a temper, and don't say I just have a little temper, there is no such thing. If you ever get angry, it is not acceptable to God. So what do you do? What did I do? 
11 years ago, I came to a knowledge of the faith. God was very gracious with me. Whatever habits I had, he took away. But this habit, he didn't take away. And it used to be so frustrating for me. So frustrating because I was trying to do everything I could to be a holy man. And then every three or four days, I just get angry. There was something within me. I don't know. And this is also to the people who get angry here. I know there is something within you. Now I know what it was. What it is, is pain. What it is, is hurt. And because you are hurting, you want everyone around you to hurt too. So if you want to fix your violence, if you want to stop being angry, you please need to get healing to that heart because as long as that heart is in pain, you are going to pain others. I look at my life for 25 years now as such a miserable guy. I wanted everyone to be miserable along with me. Today, I'm one of the happiest men in the world. And what do I want? I want everyone in the world to be happy with me. If you are an angry man, get healing to that heart. Come to me. I will teach you what I have learned. But in the meantime, I'm going to give you the words that James gave you. You have to keep trying and keep trying. And what did I do? I got on my knees and I prayed. You know, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. It wasn't working. It didn't seem to be working. God has his own reasons for something. Maybe like what James says. You know, he wants me to go through that process of being tested, 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 tested. Because testing leads to perseverance when you don't give up. And that perseverance in the end matures you and completes you. I sometimes think of what would have happened to me if God had worked another miracle. He took away my desire for alcohol. He took away my desire for cigarettes. What if he just took away my, my anger? There wouldn't be any testing for me. And I think it was easy for everybody else in the world. But now I understand that it isn't easy. If you're struggling with an addiction, I know how difficult it is for you. And instead of being, you know, what is the matter with you? Why can't you do this? I am sympathetic towards you. And I look for solutions and I look for answers. And this is the reason that you also might be going through what you're going through. Women, now I'm speaking to the victims. Women, if you are being abused by an angry man. Understand that one day you could possibly use these experiences to help other women in a similar situation. Men also sometimes face abuse too at the hands of their spouses or the hands of other people. The same advice is to you. God will use your experiences to be blessings to other people. But you have to learn how to deal with an angry man. Back to the angry person. I prayed. I, I got on my knees and prayed. I would get angry. I fasted and I prayed and I would get angry. And one day, finally, I got angry with God. You know, it was three months after my conversion. I just had enough. I was tired of losing my temper. So what did I do because I was tired of losing my temper? I got even more angry. I went and smashed everything in my house again, including every single statue I had, every single picture I had. I said, this is all, this is all rubbish. This is not working. But the moment that was finished, I, I was just so embarrassed again. And I went to God and I said, God, won't you please help me? You've seen me trying so hard. You've seen me fasting. You've seen me praying. One time I said three rosaries. In those days, we didn't have the fourth one. Three rosaries, one after another. I got up to my feet and I got angry. It was so mortifying. 
It worked for a little bit. Three months, I didn't get angry, and one day I exploded again. I had it. I really had it. I locked myself in my prayer room for one week, no food, no water. And when I left that prayer room after one week, I told God, if I ever get angry again the way I did, I'm going to lock myself again for a week, but not in my prayer room. I'm going to put myself in the desert, and I will fast over there, but I'm going to make sure that I never, ever get angry again. That was the last time for almost seven years that I lost my temper. And in the end, I have to say this to you. It wasn't because of my willpower. It was because of the grace of God. He sees you struggling, you know. I know what it feels like when, when you tell God, never again am I going to lose my temper, and then 10 minutes later you're barking like a mad dog, breaking things around the house, hurting people. I used to stop taxi drivers on the road. I don't know why. Just, just stop them and, and get into fights with them. I, it was stupid. It's stupid, this hurting inside you. So all of you who get angry, I know what it's like. Give it to God here. Give it to God here tonight. And just believe that he is going to help you to take it away. But you, on the other hand, you need to do a few things, and that is not to give up. If you leave here and your wife turns to you in the car and says, you idiot, did you hear all the things Brother Anil said today? Don't get angry. Do what I did. You know what I used to do? I used to grip the steering wheel tight and I used to go, love is patient, love is kind, love is patient, love is kind. You know, it might not work, but keep trying till you get it. Second, confess to God. Every time you get angry, don't try to deal with it on your own. Go to God and say, I'm sorry. And more than that, whenever you're hurt, go to God and say, God, I'm upset again. Always share what is in your heart with God. Three, disconnect those buttons, all those buttons that people press that make you angry. Just like God said, what does he say? If someone slaps you on one cheek, slap him on both. Isn't that what he says? What does he say? It's difficult. It's difficult. I would demonstrate, except I'm not sure what I'm going to do. No. Imagine if he slapped me and I did that instead. Seriously, just imagine for a minute. Imagine your husband shouts at you and you just smile at him and say, I love you so much, darling. It's difficult, but imagine if you do that. Imagine you go home and the house is a wreck. Why? Because your husband's been drinking when you were here praying and he's very upset that you're praying and he's drinking and by the time you go home, the house is a mess. I know it happens. I know it happens more often than you can imagine. And imagine if instead of saying a single word, you just quietly go and clean up the house, pick up the broken glasses and put them aside, put the house in order, pick up the clothes that are strewn on the floor, don't say a thing. Next morning, your husband wakes up and he looks at the house and he's sober now and he sees everything is clean and 
What is going to happen to him? Tell me he doesn't have a heart. He's not going to change. Yes, it takes time. It takes time. But I've realized that God works a lot of things in time. I was speaking to a lovely lady a little while ago who coincidentally was speaking about how angry her husband is and how he keeps hurting her all the time by the things that he does. But then she said something that really lifted my heart. She said, but I love him so much. Whatever he does, I say, it's okay. And I believe that one day God will change that man. And when she's told me the story, I couldn't help but think of me and my wife who said the same thing to everyone who might have told her to leave me. You know, I said, he's an abusive, drunken jerk who doesn't deserve you. But she said, no, my faith in my God and my love for my husband will make sure that he changes one day. And it took a long time. So to the victims, I know it is difficult. Seriously, I know it is difficult. But it's not impossible for God to change the situation in your life. Do you believe that? 